Let's Fix Work is proudly sponsored by Ultimate Software. Human resources, payroll, talent management, they've got it all. Please visit ultimatesoftware.com to learn more. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Let's Fix Work. I'm Lori Rudiman. On today's intro, I have a cold, so forgive my voice, but I couldn't be more excited than to tell you about today's guest. I'm interviewing Rana Stanfill-Hobbs. She's Director of Insights at Ultimate Software. Ultimate Software has been a fantastic sponsor for Let's Fix Work. It's been a joy and a pleasure to work with them. And on today's episode, Rana and I talk about enterprise software and technology, but we also talk about her journey from someone who recognizes patterns to an individual who is living a full and authentic life at work. Rana is the founder of a website called Compass Credo, and she's really helping people achieve their best lives and live according to their own set of values. So if you love strong women and you love supporting the sponsor of Let's Fix Work, sit tight and I'll be right back with Rana Stanfill-Hobbs and more Let's Fix Work. Work is broken. And so is the way you think about it. Host Lori Rudiman is picking up the pieces so you can take control of your career, put yourself first and be your own HR. With the Let's Fix Work podcast, here's Lori. Hey, Rana. Welcome to Let's Fix Work. Hi, Lori. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure absolutely to have you as a guest on the show today. Your wonderful company has been just such a great partner and collaborator on Let's Fix Work. But we're not necessarily here to talk about Ultimate Software and Workforce Analytics because we'll get to that at some point. We're here to talk about you because, Rana, you are a poet, you're a musician, and you absolutely are an expert in workforce analytics, but you're so much more. So how does a poet and a musician end up working for a software company? It's interesting. I have actually come to find out over the years, the more I've worked with customers, there's a lot of us out there that are sitting in small analytic teams at their respective organizations. And when we go home, we do all sorts of musical and creative endeavors. And so I think there's some greater science to it that I've not gone into, but there's got to be some connection between that pattern recognition and the analytic mind and an artistic expressiveness that coincides, hopefully, in a really beautiful way for people. So yeah, I'm really good with patterns. and I'm really good with feeling comfortable translating something very technical to something of action that anyone can understand. And it had absolutely no basis in a particular degree or anything like that. And I started off as a technical writer at Polaroid, which was a phenomenal chance to work with engineers and then think from a customer's perspective. And it's only actually very recently that in my own taking a pause and doing some self-reflection, have actually seen that every job, regardless of how unconnected or how happen chance it felt that I had it. They actually all have an incredible service ethic. They're always about the customer. They're always about a translation and about easing the path and easing the day and the work of people. And it's just looked very different over the years. And the music and the poetry have actually gotten better the more I have gotten better at my career from a professional standpoint, because it's made me much more empathetic towards all sorts of people and perspectives that I can bring into my art. I always feel like art solves problems. And it sounds like you and your role at Ultimate Software are really focused on solving problems and easing the life of your customers. And so I wonder if you see a parallel there because there's a creativity that's applied in music and in poetry, as well as just figuring out how do I make the experience of using the software that I'm creating better? Or how do I make the customer experience and the customer journey better? 
Can you talk a little bit about creativity? Because I think people think it's binary. They're either creative at home uh, in their private lives or they're creative at work. And the two don't ever meet in the middle. And you disprove that. It's a really great question. And it's actually not until I'd say the last couple of years that I've made a really concerted effort to be far more authentic, I suppose, about both sides of that, um, regardless of what environment I'm in and what role I'm playing, because I do see how well that they both work together. But also, that's who I am. And I'm, I'm better at my job and I'm better at music because of all of the different experiences I'm having. And yeah, so how I see it play out is I understand the power of a word and the phrasing of a word and the, the inherent melody within certain aspects of you know, sentence structure and different things. And not, I don't necessarily mean in a technical sense, but I mean from an emotional standpoint of how does that make you feel? And does it capture what I was trying to convey? As I've gotten a bit older and have moved past, everything has to be sort of angsty and about myself. It's, you start to expand out your topics and how you're approaching it. And it's made me really sensitive to a customer's experience from everything, from contracting on to how the software is supporting their, their daily work to the words we use to how we're doing it within a customer success team and how we're actually engaging with them and supporting them. It's made me just very sensitive to the impact all of these small decisions have on that customer, whether they actually realize it or not. Not from necessarily an arrogant standpoint, but there's so many subtle micro moments. You don't really understand sometimes how much you're influencing the overall environment. So that's what I love merging now is, is that sensitivity I've gotten from poetry and music to making sure everything is really creating the best environment so that people can flourish in whatever they're doing. That certainly makes sense to me. I love the belief that you can recognize patterns. Like that's great that you know that about yourself because how many of us don't know what we're good at doing? <laughs> so right off the bat, that strikes me as really interesting that you know who you are and you know what you excel at. And you must see so many different patterns in the world of work. And the world of work is changing. And you just talked about the customer. And the customer has changed over the past 5 years. A customer would look one way 5 years ago someone who is buying software. And that individual may be a completely different individual today just based on the changing demographics. So I wonder what patterns you're seeing at work. What do your customers look like? What's going on at work right now? What are they talking about? It's really interesting. So I've been doing this for about 15, 20 years. And I'd say I've come full circle. So I've seen the consolidation of different software vendors to then the fragmentation and disparate niche offerings to then the consolidation again. And when I started out there, you just couldn't get to data and it was, there was all disparate systems and we would run numbers quarterly and we were cutting edge and like, I'm, you know, I'm not that old. (laughs) No, you're not. Back in my day, we ran, you know, termination and headcount numbers quarterly and were on the cutting edge of the industry, but it's true. We were. And so I think what's interesting is that actually I have to check myself because I have had the absolute privilege and amazing opportunity to work with a lot of really advanced smaller firms that work with really large organizations. And so I get this amazing opportunity to take these peaks into all of these brands that are global and nationally known, but also come from this much more boutique environment. And so you start to feel like you're really cutting edge and you, you know what's happening as far as trends. But the reality is, is you're dealing with a really small subset of organizations and of companies. And so what's interesting is I thought I had seen this pattern happen that so we're now, you know, integrated talent management was this big thing. And now we can get to the data. It's not that we don't have the data. Now, what do we do with it? And then we want to make actionable insights and you know, get all the buzzwords that you want. And it's, it's all of that. 
And there's really good intention behind all of it. And I'm guilty as the next person abusing them countless times in all of my talks and decks. But what's interesting now is that basically the five generations that are in our workforce, that level of experience and in many ways fragmentation of experience is mirroring the customers. And so ultimately, actually, it's been really interesting for me because I've had a chance to work with much smaller organizations than I had previously. I was working with really large enterprise global brands for a while. And so you get very skewed to, towards their view of the world and their problems. It's really been an amazing experience thinking that I knew what was going on, what trends were happening, what the pattern was now that I sort of felt like I'd gone through one evolution. I have customers that I'm still talking with about moving off the paper process, just getting into software. And I have others that are looking to take artificial intelligence and natural language processing into basically like a brand new team member into as an additional resource into the work they're doing. That's a massive spectrum of activity. And I haven't seen that level of range before. And I think that's what's really interesting is we have to take all of that into consideration and be respectful that people are going to be meeting us at very different points. And so we need to meet them there and not expect everyone to be comfortable with the terms we're talking about or be at a point where what we say is the next trend. They may still be working on what was happening a couple years ago, or maybe they're still trying to get into some level of software integrated platform or whatever they're trying to take on. I think that that's a challenge from a vendor standpoint I've not seen before. Yeah, that is super fascinating. You know, it really would challenge you then and challenge your assumptions because you would look at a traditional buyer, a customer, a prospect, and you might make assumptions based on all sorts of stuff in popular culture right now, like age, race, gender. And now you also have to think about their buyer journey. (laughs) Like, where are they? And it could be at multiple different points. So there are all these different factors coming in, which I guess pushes us to, I don't know, be what we should be in the first place, which is human and ask really good questions, right? I mean, I don't know what else you do. If everybody's coming in at a different experience point, it's unfair and inaccurate to hack your way to a conversation. You've got to have a good old-fashioned dialogue where you ask really basic questions and get to know the person on a human-to-human level. Am I right? Absolutely. A hundred percent. It's the most human time and the most technologically advanced time, which I've, I love. So that's a pattern unto itself. Basically, the pendulum, as far as the pendulum swings one way, it has to swing back the other way to balance it out. I'm not sure that we are the most empathetic and human, but it is forcing us in that level of the more that you can be human, the more authentic, the more holistic you are thinking about life and the work that you're doing, the better you can navigate all of this the more powerful the connections are that you have with your customers, your colleagues, and just with people in general. Because what I've noticed is that you get really excited and hyped about new technology. And I do, and my colleagues do. And what can happen is you inadvertently end up isolating people because you've left them behind. And you didn't mean to. You are just so excited and you're trying to forge this path and build this momentum and and create such enthusiasm and make it accessible by making it seem interesting and something that people want because it can be new, it can be a little scary. You know, you're still in some sense selling the proposition. But if you don't recognize the fear or the isolation or the confusion that people might feel about that, not just because it's something new unto itself, but because they're still trying to get their footing in the first place. I think that's an opportunity that I know I'm focusing a lot on right now is making sure I'm really making a very considered effort every time I'm talking with people about where are they coming to me right now? Like, where are they at? What's their level of comfort? What do they want to know? What are they scared of? You know, because I talk about a lot of cutting edge stuff, which is fun. And I 
talk about it all the time. So I'm numb to the concerns about it in the sense of like, I'm not scared of it. I'm interested by it. And I recognize the fear, but it's abstracted. And the more you humanize that and recognize this as people, this is their job, this is their day to day. That's what's been really interesting about this time that I've never seen before. It's always been much more singular technologies, it's enabling this new bit of work and, you know, step by step by step. And now we're, we have to hold all of that at the same time. It sounds like you're really excited by some of the emerging and burgeoning technologies that are out there. And I want to talk about that in a second. But what struck me in that last segment was that there's just this natural desire, I think, when we think about technology or talk about tech to speed it up. Like everything suddenly goes faster in the conversation in our brain. And in those moments where we're talking about new tech or adapting tech or even adopting a new technological platform in our organization, it's so important to slow the heck down and get on board and make sure we're all using the same language and make sure we all have the same understanding of what we're getting ourselves into. So how do you balance that push? Because I'm sure you work with CFOs, CIOs, CEOs who are push, push, push. And traditional HR departments, for better or for worse, they're there oftentimes to put on the brakes to make sure everybody's included. The same place. We all all have the same common language. I don't know. Do you feel that tension in your work right now? I think I always have because people tend to feel like the technology is the solve, that that's the end game solution. And it never is. It's an enabler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what do you tell that HR professional who may be listening, who is pumping the brakes because of all kinds of reasons? People are feeling excluded. The process isn't inclusive enough, right? Not enough voices are recognized. Not enough people are there at the table making the right decision. How do you give them the courage to be brave and, and to balance being relevant and being excited about the tech with the courage to raise their hand and say, hold on, I have a question or a concern? Because a lot of HR professionals are being... They don't want that reputation anymore of being a road block and then they just go along with it and there are problems down the road. Do you know what I mean by that, Rana? No, that's a phenomenal question. There's probably a couple different facets to this. And I think that I know that they're tired. I'm t- they're tired of having to be the gatekeeper and unappreciated by all of you know the rest of the organization. And it's not why they took the job. It's not what they love to do. It's not why they're there. I think that something new, whatever it is, a new activity, a new sport, a new skill, a new software, whatever it is, it's going to be a little awkward in the beginning. You have to learn some new muscle memory. It's going to have some unknowns because it isn't the fix. It's not the solves. And so I think part of it is recognizing, is this tool good enough and the best we can do right now to get us on the path to where we want to be and to where we're tracking and to never relinquish control over and recognize it's working for you. And the vendor... And the team that supports them and whatever level of customer support and expertise they bring to the table, I'm a bit biased because it's my job and what I love to do. But I think it is by far the most important aspect of it because you need to have some trusted advisors who have done this because you haven't. And trust them that they are not talking to you about just quick adoption and quick rollout plans and are just doing their project plans that they run with every customer but they're actually assessing what you need and are matching you with both guidance. And to me, it's about, I'll take the lead and I'll take some of the heat and help forge some of that path. And then we'll start to do the baton pass where appropriate. And other times we'll sit and collaborate and be like, all right, you know your organization and know the best way in which to position this. But the idea that it's a collaboration and that I'm on their team and my team's on their team, that to me helps 
HR professionals not feel so alone and not feel like they have to put their entire net and reputation on the line or to totally put the brakes on everything. But a big part of it is also making sure the executives and buyers are not buying a solution. They're buying something that's enabling their people and making sure they know why they're doing that. And that should be done in the sales process. Like you should be doing that early on so that it helps everyone understand what relationship is that we're about to get into. Because it is, everyone's a little scared. That's normal. That's okay. That doesn't mean we don't want to do it. And I think that's the problem is there's been so much call out on HR that if there's anything wrong, then it's like, well, then we, you know, we shouldn't have done that. And we, we're not going to do that again, because there were some problems with it. If it felt like we were allowed to have an imperfect solution that was tracking towards what we want, but we were very transparent about that and transparent about what we're trying to achieve. I think that makes the process easier as well. And I, that level of transparency is also something I think that feels, it feels newer to me as far as it being more commonplace and less about particular cultures, uh, that people are being much more transparent about what things can and can't do and, and what we need to get towards. Hey, everybody, it's no secret that I love and believe in the future of human resources. More importantly, I believe in you. One way you can change the game for HR and for yourself is to focus on your continuing education. Ultimate Software sponsors free workshops around the country where HR leaders, recruiters, payroll professionals, and even consultants can earn free SHRM, HRCI, and APA credits. I've been to these Ultimate Software workshops. They're highly interactive, fun, and you'll learn a ton about the future of work and the world of HR. Visit ultimatesoftware.com forward slash LFW to learn more and to sign up for a workshop near you. That's ultimatesoftware forward slash LFW to find a workshop and earn recertification credits and stay on top of your game. That's ultimatesoftware.com forward slash LFW. And maybe I'll see you at a city near you. I love that we are moving towards an honest conversation about imperfect solutions that actually move the organization forward. What we're trying to do here is not going to solve the water crisis. It's not going to solve plastics in the oceans, but it's going to get our people more engaged or it's going to give them a better work experience or whatever it is, whatever the solution is. I love that it's a more honest conversation. And I know there's really cool, exciting tech out there and people want to know about it. And they've listened to Let's Fix Work, right? So they... Yeah, you've got, you profiled some amazing speakers and content and technology. Thank you. Thank you. They've heard all about the, the hype cycle around AI and they, they understand that a little bit. When you talk to HR practitioners, what are they excited about? And what are you excited about for the world of work? Like what's the cool tech out there? I'm a bit biased at the moment because I'm working specifically around taking natural language processing. So allowing employees to answer questions in their own voice and just type, type it out, type out their response and using that as a form of continuous performance development. Stop thinking in terms of, and there's this wildly heated and, and loaded topic around performance and compensation and is it reviews and ratings and development and on and on and on. And from everything I've read, in a lot of ways, like everyone's right. It's all right. Like it's, it's <laughs> Everybody's right. I love it's that. It's <laughs> that bad and it's that flawed and intention is that good and all of these different things that we're all trying to do. But I am really fascinated by basically being able to meet an employee and removing obstacles not leading the witness by forcing them into ratings and forcing them into particular choices and a multiple choice question and really just getting them to respond. To me, it's the same idea of like, it again, it allows them to be much more themselves and authentic and have a much more 
honest conversation. And it doesn't have to be something heavy. I've got, you know, organizations that are taking incredibly advanced technology. They're just keeping it simple right now. Like, did this benefit plan or this particular benefit program land where we thought? Are you happy with that? Do people fundamentally feel positive about this particular direction we're taking? You know, really taking bite sizes out of the application of this technology to their larger organization, but allowing it to be a much more human experience. I think so many people want to use technology to avoid the difficult conversation at work instead of using tech to have better and more realistic and more honest conversations. I can't tell you how many HR professionals would love to have some piece of technology to tell managers when they suck. <laughs> you know, like that's what they're looking for. They want to hit a button and be able to send an email or somehow use a platform to have a really difficult conversation because there's been a gap, there's been a deficit, there was a wrong way of hiring people five years ago, and now they're stuck with a glutton of really bad supervisors, right? And so everybody's looking for that one solve. And you must hear this from your prospects, people who are out there in the marketplace looking for technology. You can't necessarily solve for some of these behavioral issues with a technology platform. Oh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm saying that I know it sounds right, but I hear it all the time like, oh, yeah. if I only had like a solution where I can tell this person to shut up, and they're joking, but they're not. There's this weirdness with tech that the more we have tech, the more we expect it to do human things, right? Because it's AI. Why shouldn't it be human? But it's never going to do the difficult things that you need it to do. I think that's where I'm driving with this. Think about how much emotional intelligence is up there with getting so much attention right now. It's not by accident that the data processing and speed of the overall velocity of which AI and, and technology can process data well, that's great. We need that. Like, that's wonderful. And I'll take that any day. But it's not a coincidence that a premium is now being drawn to having some level of emotional intelligence, understanding the nuances of human behavior, and that it isn't simple, you know, good, bad, and these binary approaches to life. And so you have to have both of them. You can sort of keep going back and back. Like, I don't personally think that managers want to suck. Like, I think... Uh, no, nobody wants to suck, right? Yeah, like nobody wants to suck would be my general approach. Or at least I, I try to meet everybody like that because <laughs> when you meet somebody who's like, well, you're really not making this happen. Like, yeah, but Rana, I don't mean to interrupt, but there are individuals out there. You know, we just went through this big cycle around Me Too where people would look you in the face and say, I'm trying to come up and develop a learning platform to help people understand what's going on with Me Too and to train them through these difficult times. And it's like, dude, a training platform, a learning platform is not going to solve for Me Too. You know, like I don't know how to have this conversation any differently. So I think there's just this desire to take the difficult, the uncomfortable, the awkward and shift it to tech. And I really fear that trend that's happening right now. Does that make sense? It does. And it's a good call out. It's a good point of clarification. I am all about the positive, like promote the positive. Feedback is like, you're basically, you just want to do more of what you do well. And to me, the tough conversations and while there are certain point of conversations that need to happen, I don't actually think of technology as being as directly related to that type of conversation. It's much more about providing a platform and interrupting basically your normal flow of the day so that you capture in technology what you're thinking and 
and from and basically harnessing those positive things. And so I think things around Me Too and anything related to certain biases as it goes towards recruiting and all of that going into the DNI initiatives, a lot of the ways in which technology is successfully helping people address that is by interrupting things. They interrupt bias. They interrupt certain language and word usage. They interrupt and flag it so that the person goes, oh, okay, I didn't know that. And it's really about making sure that we're expanding their perception, if you will, of like what they're considering when they're making decisions and when they're choosing words and making them, to your point, slow down and be more considered. And to me, that's how technology helps in those topics, not by holding content that fixes it. It's about stopping you, whoever you are, and expanding the points of view in which you are taking in when you're making decisions going forward. As we start to wrap up the conversation, you do such interesting work at Ultimate. And we began the conversation talking about poetry and music. And it really got me thinking about bringing your whole self to work. That is such a trite statement that so many people make. And yet here you are, Rana, right in front of me, bringing your whole self to work. <laughs> like you're living it. You're the embodiment of it. And I'm sure it's complicated and awkward at times. So if there are individuals out there who are currently working in a role where they don't feel like they can even be a little bit more of themselves, they feel, oh, I have to be inauthentic or I can't possibly get to know people at work or I'm not here to make friends. Can you debunk that or at least talk a little bit about your own journey and what it means to be your authentic self at work? I can speak in general, but I will say for myself personally, it was almost instantaneous. The minute I started bringing all of myself to work and being honest about who I was and not separating what I was doing in the evening and basically my interests and all of it. And I just was like, I'm too busy and I'm too tired. Like I can't, my brain can't create those separations any longer. My career actually took off. And I noticed it then and I sort of put it on the back burner to come back and revisit after I'd gotten a couple of years in and the newness of these new roles had worn off. And it didn't really take me very long to realize you can sense when someone isn't totally relaxed. And when I obviously finally exhaled and just said, I'm here, flawed, imperfect, totally committed to this and not going anywhere. I'm going to help you and we're going to do this. The minute that shift happened in me, the trust that both my colleagues and my customers had in me changed so fundamentally that my career is beyond anything I thought I would be doing. And I absolutely attribute the majority of that to that shift of when I finally was just like, I am who I am. And I know my intentions are good. I will say that a big part of a big part of that for especially when people feel like either they can't or they feel like the impact their particular job is having is so small or marginal, like it doesn't really make a difference. And it's hard not to carry that and internalize that, that feel like it doesn't really make a difference. So why should I come and put myself out there and be vulnerable and be that level of authentic? Um, and I, I disagree. I think that if you put yourself into leaving people better or find a personal vision and credo or mission statement, whatever you want to call it, something that is action-based, not, I just believe, you know, all people are good, like, good, that's wonderful. But an action thing, what do you want to do every day? I think that you then start to see the meaning is always in the minutiae, it's always in those tiny interactions. And that is how you make your role have impact. That is how your day starts to feel really important. And then you want to bring your whole self there because that's a really satisfying part of your day now is because you know you've just left all those people better and you've had this impact. So you want all of you to be there to experience it. It's that back and forth of giving yourself permission, recognizing it's never big things. It's always tiny little exchanges. 
that have the greatest impact on yourself and others. Rana, it's that moment of giving yourself permission that's so interesting to me. I don't know if you want to talk about the moment you gave yourself permission, but for so many people out there, what you just said is all well and good for you. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. But what can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, when did you finally give yourself permission? Was there a moment? Was there a feeling? Was there just a thing going on in your life? I, I mean, what, what does it take to finally get to the moment where you say, I'm going to be me and this is just how it's going to be and I don't care anymore. I cannot live any other way. What was that like for you? What triggered it for you? Honestly, uh, a divorce. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not surprised. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes it does take a monumental shift of things. Of course. My family didn't always respond great to the fact that I was gay. And I had some pretty significant early on conditioning of let's probably separate some things. And so I got pretty good at separating certain things in my life. And when I separated from my ex, I couldn't be bothered, basically. As I said, I was just so tired and realized that it felt somehow that it was all contributing to itself, that somehow that sort of bad decisions and isolation and bad choices was all contributing. And if you fast forward to now, I'm now happily married. (laughs) And my wife now and now my stepdaughter have brought a level of authenticity and safety and just unconditional warmth that I've actually upped it, my level of vulnerability. So that was a very professional and I'm just going to be myself. And the website I've just started, the Compass Credo, it's terrifying to me. I've never been that exposed on things that are so fundamental in my belief and my actions. But because I feel so safe and so loved, I feel like it's my duty to show that it can be done and make someone else's transition to that a little bit easier and a little bit softer. Rana, I really appreciate you sharing your story. And people have complained to me about their jobs for years. And I finally took the stance that if you want to fix work, you should really work on the things that you need to fix within yourself. And more and more, as I listen to people's stories, I'm like, nailed it. You know, like <laughs> It's true. I mean, we have so much tension in our lives. And if we compartmentalize or if we're inauthentic or if we're just constantly fighting the same battles over and over again, until you address those battles, work is just an extension of the chaos inside your soul. And so I'm really grateful that you shared the story. And if you could please share your new website, because I was on it earlier today, and it's absolutely lovely. It's really interesting. And I think people will really enjoy getting to know you and getting to know what you're sharing out there. Absolutely. It's Compass Credo. So it's compasscredo.com and across all of the platforms. Where it came from, we'll have have a second chat about it. There was a wonderful random person and the angel in my life showed up. And I was like, oh, it's my true north. It's what I always keep direction and focus on is leave people and places and myself better than I found them. I, I say also compass, true north, and then it's my personal credo. And it can be whatever it is for you, but it's fundamentally changed my life and how I approach every interaction with people. Well, that's pretty fantastic. Rana, it was a real joy and just a privilege to kind of get to know you and your story and hear about Ultimate and all that kind of good stuff. If people want to connect with you besides Compass Credo, can they connect with you on LinkedIn? Where do you prefer? Yeah, um, LinkedIn, I'm Rana Hobbs. I'm very active on that. So please reach out. Happy to have any conversation. Compass Credo. I do a fair bit of public speaking for Ultimate and at other events. And actually, I'm really excited about an event in June that we're doing on uh, in California for women in technology. So we're doing like a women in business summit and that we've done in the past. And it's phenomenal. Last time it was hundreds of just all women attendees from customers and prospects and just different visionaries. And it was just a wonderful weekend basically to, to spend together. So I'm thrilled to be a part of it again this year. That'll be early June. That's pretty fantastic. We're going to include all of those links in our show notes. Rana, thanks again for coming on Let's Fix Work. 
Lori, thank you so much for today and for all you're doing. Yeah, and everybody stick around. We'll be right back with more Let's Fix Work. All executives need to be podcasting. Podcasts are the number one way for executives to create an authentic and trusting relationship with employees and potential customers. That's why my producer, Danny Osment, just did a three-part series on why executives should be podcasting. Want to give your company a brand or a face? Want to connect with current or future employees? Are you interested in pivoting out of your current position and into a new career or personal brand? Well, if you're an executive who is podcast curious, head on over to dannyosmond.com forward slash executives and learn how a podcast builds credibility, how podcasting gives you a leg up against the competition, and how a podcast can power a speaking career and help you write a book. Don't worry about finding the time to listen. Each episode is less than 10 minutes and Danny has put all three episodes in one place. Head on over to dannyosmond.com forward slash executives to listen and find more resources. That's dannyosmond.com forward slash executives. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Rana Stanfill Hobbs. It's not often that I speak to someone who's both an artist and a singer and a songwriter, as well as a director of insights at a technology company. Rana's background and expertise is just really fascinating. And I hope you enjoyed the conversation with her. Make sure to connect with her and all of that information on where to connect is in the show notes. And a word about our sponsor, Ultimate Software. They've put together a website, ultimatesoftware.com forward slash LFW for HR professionals and business professionals alike to get up to date on workshops, tools, resources, you know, to fix work by fixing HR. But Ultimate Software is always hiring. If you go to their website, don't forget to check out their want ads. We're all about fixing work by fixing ourselves. And I think it's really important that when there's an opportunity, you follow it. So check out the job ads at ultimatesoftware.com. They're one of America's best companies to work for. Let's Fix Work is produced by Danny Osmond at Emerald City Productions. And I just really appreciate all of his hard work. In the next couple of weeks, we're kicking things up a level and doing some cool work on the brand. So I'm excited about that. If you have any questions or feedback for either me or Danny, hit us up at hello at letsfixwork.com. Now that's all for today. And I really hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next week when hopefully I'm over this stupid cold at Let's Fix Work. If you're ready to make a real change in your workplace, start today by number one, subscribing to Let's Fix Work on the Apple Podcasts app or iTunes or Stitcher or Android or wherever you listen. Number two, write a five-star rating and review. And number three, share it with a friend, colleague, or coworker who you think would enjoy our episodes. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.